Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. We are in part three of our message series called Kingdom People. Now, just to explain this to you, this is going to be a nine-part message series, but we've broken it up into three three-part ones. So we will take a break next week. We've got something else to do that's very important next week, uh, but then we'll come back again and do another three-part one. So this first three-part one, you might have already picked up, it's maybe been a little bit of a heavy-duty theological Bible study, and it will be a little bit today as well. But don't worry, in part two, the second three, and then in the final three, we're going to get into practical things. What does it mean for your individual life, for your family, for your career, for your church, if we are not just saved sinners, but also citizens of the kingdom of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the Bible says. So, what does, how do we live that out? We will look at that. But we're still in a little bit of a foundation laying. You know, you're building a house. You just want that house to get up. You want to move into it. You want to sleep in your bed. You want to sit in your lazy boy chair and watch Netflix on TV but the foundations have to be dug first, and then they have to be laid first. And that seems time-consuming, and it looks like not that much is happening. But if you build the house without the foundations, and the storms of life come, because the storms of life come to Christians and non-Christians. The storms of life, Jesus says, comes, come to wise people who have built their life on a solid foundation, just like they come to unwise people who have built their life on shifting sand. The storms come to both. The question is, does your life have a solid foundation? Does your faith have a solid foundation? So that's what we've been laying in the last two weeks and, uh, and this week we're going to do as well. So we're kingdom of God, kingdom people. This week, I'm calling this week's message, the radical kingdom. Say that with me, will you? The radical kingdom. There wasn't much enthusiasm on this side of the room, so I'm going to look at you, the whites of your eyes. Let's say it together, everybody. The radical kingdom. Now, I think the hesitation was the word radical. Because in our common usage of the word today, radical extremists blew up an airport. You know that kind of thing? And so we think the word radical is a negative term about extremists, but it's not. We will, we will look at that in just a moment. But if the title is the radical kingdom, what does radical mean and what does kingdom mean? First of all, I gave you a definition for what the kingdom of God is last week. Let's look at it again. God's kingdom is the rule of God. It's not a place like the United Kingdom. It's the rule of God, God ruling in a situation. Wherever God is king, His kingdom is there. Another way to say that is wherever Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Lord in your life, that means God is King of your life. That means the kingdom of God is within you, okay? If Jesus is Lord of a church and the church are submitting to the Word of God and the Lordship of Christ, then the kingdom of God is in that church, okay? 
So, because God is ruling there, right? So, wherever God is king, His kingdom is there. It starts with our lives as individuals. When we believe in Christ, the kingdom of God is within us. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, spiritually reborn, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, okay? So, it starts with our individual lives, then it changes our outlook, our views, our morals, our character, our behavior, and for most of us, and I'm including myself in this, we notice the deficiencies in our behavior very often. And then we think, oh my goodness, why am I behaving like that? And then we think, if only I could control my behavior better, God would be more pleased with me. But in actual fact, it's if only I could get more of God in my life, my behavior would change. Okay? It's the other way around. That, that, that would be like saying, let me just think of a quick example. I'm thinking of, imagine that you are, are vitamin D deficient, and, right? Okay. And that would be like saying, um, since I'm vitamin D deficient, it is causing I don't know what that causes. Let's say it causes scabs on your skin. I've got these scabs in my skin. And if only I could get rid of these scabs, that would mean I have more vitamin D. And no, it wouldn't. You need more vitamin D first, and that will cure the scabs. If only I could be better behaved and more strict, then I would have more of God in my life. No, you wouldn't have more of God in your life any more than you'd have more vitamin D in your life. Just like you need to put more vitamin D in your life to heal the scabs, you need more of God in your life to heal your character, right? It's not legalism. It's not try harder. It's grace. It's open up to God and let Him rule and reign in your life. This is the first slide. I better move on. Okay. Um, it grows continually until it affects our families, communities, actions, and our world. It is God's new way of living, and His new world, which He is in the process of creating amongst us and through us. And it is destined to conquer every other ideology until it fit for 2,000 years, governments and ideologies and uh, people have been trying to squash Christianity. They're all gone and Jesus is still Lord, okay? It is destined to conquer every other ideology until it fills the whole earth. It is spiritual, personal, moral, ideological, political, global, universal. His kingdom will continue to come until His will is fully done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that is a big definition. If you want a short one, just the words in orange. What is the kingdom of God? Wherever God is king, His kingdom is there. It is God's new way of living and His new world, which He is bringing about in our midst. Okay? That's God's kingdom. That's what we're talking about, being part of God's great plan, the great adventure that God has set up, being a part of that. But we're talking about the radical kingdom. So what does radical mean? Does it mean to be an extremist or something? No, it doesn't at all. The word radical means to go back to the roots of a matter. It means to be loyal to the original intention. It comes from the Latin word radix, which means roots. So, 
The radical kingdom is we want to be part of God's kingdom. We want to live in God's kingdom. We want his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth in our lives, in our families, in our careers, in our communities, in our church, in our nation, in our world, here on earth as it is in heaven, right? So in order to do that, we need to make sure that we are understanding God's kingdom. We need to get back to the roots of the matter. We need to discover what God's original intention for his kingdom was. How did the early Christians live a kingdom lifestyle? So I'm going to teach you three big words today. They all begin with the letter E and they all, begin, they all end with ology, okay? Three big words. You do not need to remember those words. I just thought it looked clever to put them in. That's my three main points. And to tell you the truth, the first one, I only learned it like 10 days ago. So I I'm a newbie to this word too, but it just perfectly fits in my three points. So here we go. This is what we're talking about with the radical kingdom. First of all, I want to talk about the etiology of the kingdom. Say that word, will you? Etiology. That was a new one to me, but here it, here it is. Etiology is to do with the beginning of things, to do with the start of things. Again, like radical, going back to my roots. Yeah, okay? So we're going back to the roots. So what is the etiology of the kingdom? If we're going back to our roots, if we want to be kingdom people, like Jesus' first followers were, what does that mean? Well, first of all, we are talking about a return to pure Christianity. We're talking about making sure that what we believe and what we think and how we see the world and God and our faith is genuinely rooted in the message of Jesus and his apostles. And so we want to go back to that message. We don't want to cloud the message in some other way. You know, I, I am more of a teacher than a preacher. I can preach a bit too, but I'm more of a teacher. And I listen to a lot of teachers, a lot of Bible teachers, and there's a problem that teachers can get into. There's also a problem that preachers can get into. Preachers sometimes can be exciting, but the message is so shallow of content, you don't really know what it is you're believing. Sometimes teachers can overly complicate things so much, you're going away saying, I, I, don't even, I don't even know what I think about anything anymore. Neither of that is helpful. There is a simple message of the gospel, and there is a simple faith in God. Yes, there are so many deep teachings to learn about other things, but what we do is we build those on top of our foundation. We don't ignore the foundation and get caught up in side issues, and so we need, we're talking about a return to pure Christianity. And what does that mean? Well, when you read the New Testament, do you know what you don't see? Um, how many people have you got in your church? Well, we have about 300, but one, only 100 are true disciples. The rest are just believers. You don't get that. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really a disciple yet. You don't get that in the Bible. 
When you're called to come to Christ, you're called to give Him your whole life. And we are called to be disciples of Jesus. Go, Jesus didn't say go into the, all the world and try to attract a crowd. He said go into the, all the world and make disciples. So a disciple is a follower of Jesus, someone who is hitched to Jesus. If you can remember a few weeks ago uh, when we did the Belahe thing, when, when one ox is yoked to another ox, they are joined to them. And where this ox goes, you have to go with them. And Jesus said, take my yoke upon you so that where Jesus goes, we follow his lead and go with them. We need to be committed disciples of Jesus. The other thing about the kingdom of God, when we look at the New Testament, we see it wasn't just a personal faith. It was that, but it was more than that. It was a whole alternative community. You're being called out of darkness and into light. We are in the world, but we're not of it. We're called into the kingdom. And we see that we're, the kingdom has a whole new community where now you have the people sitting around you, if you're in this room, are not just fellow church members. They are actually your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of them might be your long-lost brothers and sisters. It might be good to introduce yourself to them and say, hi, I'm your brother. We've never met. But we're a family. We're a community, and we see that in the New Testament. The community helped one another. And then, of course, we're also talking about, if we're going back to the roots, we are wanting to restore the church to the picture that we see the church called to in the New Testament. I don't mean we want to exactly model ourselves in the New Testament church. I'm not implying the New Testament church didn't have problems. It had plenty of problems. In Corinth, they were getting drunk during the communion service. And in, Gal in Galatia, they were bringing in all kinds of false teachers who were teaching legalism. I mean, there was if you read the New Testament, the apostles were pulling their hair out half the time. What's the matter with you churches? So they had problems, but there is teaching of what we are called to be. And so we want to, we want to go be called back. We want to restore our, ourselves back to the New Testament pattern. Let me just show you a little example here. If we were looking at church history, there's a few different ways we could look at church history. If we made this if we made this platform a timeline, you know, past, present, future kind of thing, well, there's diff we could show the growth of the Christian church. We could show, show it starting off with Jesus and his 12 disciples, and then gradually growing and growing in numbers. We could have a line going all the way up high, growing in numbers as the Christian church begins to impact the entire globe. That's one way we could look at church history. Another way we could look at it is we could look at all the denominations of the church, and we could get to about 1,000 AD, and the Roman Catholics split off from the Eastern Orthodox, and then we could go a bit further, and we've got the Reformation, and then we've got one different 
thing after another happening, different denominations breaking off, and you could show it all, but they're all part of the Christian church, but all little factions. You could do it that way. But one way that you could do it is this way. I don't know if I'm still on the camera or not. I'm sorry if I'm not. I'm standing in this speaker here. Imagine this is what the church is called to. All the things that we're called to believe and preach and live. Within a few centuries, the church began to forget about things. They got rid of apostles and prophets. They got rid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because they, they were messy and the church couldn't control it. Um, they, get, they started baptizing babies and got rid of believers' baptism. And one by one, the church began to lose some of its original teachings, and it came down to a lower level until the time of the Reformation. And at the time of the Reformation, the gospel was restored properly. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone, as revealed in the Scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. Right? That was what they said. That's called the five solas, if you want to know that. We're getting a lot of theology today. So, and then, and that was restored. And then the Baptists restored believers' baptism. And then the Pentecostals restored the gifts of the Spirit. And gradually the church has been restored once again to the same height. We're 2,000 years away from where we started, but we're coming back to where we should be again, realizing that we picked up a lot of baggage on the way, we got rid of the baggage, and we want to see the church restored to what God wanted it to be. Let's look at the next slide. It's Daniel says, in the days of those kings, we saw last week, that's the Roman Empire. In the days of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will shatter all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself stand forever. And in the days of the Roman Empire, God sent His Son Jesus, who lived and died and rose again and gave us the message of the kingdom and how to enter into the kingdom. And it was established then, and it has been growing and filling the earth ever since. Let's look at the next slide. Uh, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. The church is not supposed to be an institution, a human institution, you know, like a university or a hospital or something like that. It's a, it, it is a living body of changed people. That's what it is. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this realm. So, we want to get back to the beginnings of the kingdom. We want our church to be what the Bible says a church should be. We want to be disciples and not just believers like the Bible says we're supposed to be. And we know that this kingdom is not of this world. It is a spiritual change that happens in our lives and in our midst, but that it is destined to grow. That's how it starts. That's the etiology of the kingdom. Okay, what about the end? What about the eschatology of the kingdom. Everybody say the eschatology of the kingdom. 
So eschatology means the end stuff. And so it's destiny, it's conclusion. Well, the Bible tells us it starts small, like a mustard seed that grows into a big shrub, or like a pebble that grows into a big mountain, or a little bit of yeast that works its way through the whole batch of dough. It starts small, and it grows incrementally and imperceptibly. You cannot perceive it. You're not aware of it. You know, it's like your kids grown up. You don't notice your kids grown up. But then Aunt Susie, who hasn't seen them for a year, goes, oh my goodness, you're so tall. But you never noticed it because your children grew without you being aware. It was so slow, you couldn't perceive it. And it was in such small increments, you couldn't notice it. But if you go away and come back, you realize it's grown, and that's what the kingdom of God is like. It transforms lives and communities, and it will eventually fill the whole earth. Let's see what the Word of God says. It says here in Micah chapter 4, He, God, will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for for strong nations far and wide. And what will our lives be like when the kingdom is manifested fully here on earth as it is in heaven? Well, look at this. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Well, why? Why will they not train for any war anymore? Because there's no enemies to threaten them. Because God is ruling in the hearts and the lives of the people of the nations. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. Everyone will have their own private property. Everyone will have their own provision. Nobody will try to steal anything from you. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. That's the eschatology of the kingdom. That's what we're headed to. That's God's plan. Let's look at the next one. Habakkuk says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't it good to have a promise from God that we know will be fulfilled? Acts 3.21, for Christ must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things that the prophets have been prophesying about. God's kingdom is headed towards a great climax at the end of the story. The etiology of the kingdom, the start of it. We want to go back to our roots. It's a radical kingdom. The eschaton, we've got a hope. We know that God's plan will be fulfilled. So in the meantime, what about how we live in our churches? Well, when it comes to our churches, we would call that the ecclesiology of the kingdom. And the ecclesiology of the kingdom, here's a few things. Here's one of interest. Do you know that God's kingdom is not a democracy? Do you know that not one time has God ever asked your opinion or my opinion about what the church should believe or teach? Not once. 
You know, someday, someday, a few years ago, someone spoke to me and said, asked me why the church thinks sexual immorality is wrong. And I said, the church? Why the church thinks it's wrong? What do you mean? Well, why does the church say that's wrong? Because in the world, everybody thinks that's fine. And I said, what do you mean the church? What church? This church? No, the church all over the world. I said, we, we don't decide on what's right and what's wrong. God has already decided that, and we happily submit to the will of God. And then this person said, oh, I think the church will change their mind about that one day. So we're going to hold a vote, and we're going to outvote God. Is that what we're going to do? It is not a democracy. Our opinion is not valid. God is the king, and kings issue decrees, and subjects obey the decrees of the king. Okay? It is a theocracy. God is ruling. Now, let me just give you the definition of the word theocracy, because people think it's a bad word today, like the word radical. And when you say the word theocracy, people think of the handmaiden's tale. They think about some religious people getting in charge of society and governing. That is not, that's a dictatorship. That is not a theocracy. A theocracy is when the people, their hearts are open and God rules in their hearts. And as a result of that, there is harmony in society, right? It's God ruling in our individual lives. Oh, and by the way, if the church is not a democracy, I'll just throw this little thing in. The government are not in charge of the church. They might be in charge of businesses and society and the police force and roads getting repaired. I would love them to be in charge of roads getting repaired a bit faster. They can be in charge of all that, but nowhere does the Bible say Caesar is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. So we obey Christ. Now, we are also called, the Bible says, as much as it is within our power, we should live at peace with all men. So the government's not our enemy either. We're not against the government. They're not our enemy. In fact, Christians should, Christians should vote, and Christians should be involved in society. But Christ and Christ alone is the head of the church. Okay? And if man ever tells you to disobey what Christ says, you obey Christ and you disobey man. You're like Daniel when he refused to give up his faith. You're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If the government say bow to that idol, you stand still. You're not a troublemaker. You're not going looking for trouble. You're living at peace with all people as much as it is within your power. But there comes a line in the sand where you say, you're not in charge. You didn't die for my sins. You didn't rise again from the dead. You're not almighty God. When it comes to Christ's body, he's the head of the church. So I hope, you're, I hope you're a good citizen, but I also hope that your number one allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom and not to men and women and human beings, not even religious men and women. If I ever tell you to do something that's against Christ's kingdom, disobey me and obey the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, 
Amen. So it's not a democracy. But yet, individual member, every, every individual is a member of Christ's body. God dwells in you. Now, in the community, God has gifted people with certain jobs. He's put local elders or shepherds or pastors, they're all the same thing in the Bible, in charge of, a, a, of governing local churches. And he's got apostolic people, leaders who can counsel and advise the pastors and shepherds and so on. But their job is to steer the church in the right direction. Like, my job is not to interfere in your private life. Like, I've heard of churches that sound like cults to me, where people have to get permission from the elders about when they go on vacation and all kinds of things, and all their private financial information is known by the Yeah, that's a cult, okay? That's not a church. A church is where we are not trying to control you. We are trying to encourage you to put your life in God's control not in ours or anybody else's, okay? And so, um, individual members of the body of Christ, local shepherds, translocal ministries. Let's just quickly look at a couple of, of passages here. Let's go to Acts. They went up to Jerusalem. This is one chapter, by the way. I've just picked these verses out. They went up to Jerusalem. I want you to shout out the things in orange with me, right? They went up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. They were received by the church and the apostles and elders. Now, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch. They wrote this letter. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles. They delivered to them the, de the, the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. Where's the pastor of small groups and the denominational president and the pope? Have you noticed that none of these dudes are in this passage? I think we need to go back to God's Word, don't you? And recognize the gifts and ministries He sets amongst us. Now, that doesn't mean apostles and elders are like the head honchos and everybody else is just a pleb. That's not what it means. Let's read on. Next slide. Now, you are all the body of Christ, and each one of you is an individual member of Christ's body. And in the church, not Okay, you're going too fast. Let me pause. <laughs> I like your enthusiasm. But in the church, not in your house, not in the way you bring up your kids, not, I have got no opinion on what you watch on Netflix, although there's a few things you shouldn't watch, but the Lord will tell you that. Right? It doesn't say God has set apostles in your family, in the church but you're supposed to be a mature person who's able to run your own life under the teaching you receive and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, right? So let's go. And in the church, God has appointed. 
first of all a prophet, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, those with gifts of healing, helpers and administrators, and people who speak in tongues. I want us to just come to a close now. We're going to read one last scripture. Let's stand while we read it, this one last verse of scripture. I want you to see that God's kingdom, it started with a purpose, and there's all this teaching about it in the Bible, and we know that it's going to end with a great victory and a great celebration. It is a victorious eschatology. God's plan will come to pass, and no one will stop it. ISIS won't stop it. Communism won't stop it. Nothing will stop it. Okay, God's, if God has a plan, it will come to pass. And in the meantime, we are trying to get rid of all the baggage we've picked up, go back to our roots and believe what we should believe, and head towards our glorious future. And all of that is only possible because of this verse. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So remember, God's kingdom is wherever God is king, but his kingdom is fully manifested in heaven. There's no sin, no sickness, no rebellion, no lack, no anger, no pain, no fear, no sickness, no death. There's nothing up there. God's will is fully done. But Jesus is bringing the kingdom here. But now it's time for him to leave this world and return to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, if you believe in Jesus, shout amen. That means you're one of his own. Do you know that God loves the whole world? He loves the whole world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. But do you know that God has a special love for those who are his own? It's kind of like you might be a guy and you might be filled with love and you just might love every woman in the world but I hope you've got a special love for your wife, that you love her in a way that you don't love the other women, right? And God has a special love for his own. And having loved his own, who are still in the world, that's us, he loved us to the end. He died for us. He purchased us. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. He is ruling at the right hand of God. And he poured his spirit into our lives. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Let's lift our hands up. And let I'll count to three and we'll start. One, two, three. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.